years. And that was such a fun celebration to look back at all of the ways that he has shown his faithfulness to us. And today, we're going to continue to pause, but we're going to look ahead at the next five years, okay? And we're going to dream and we're going to imagine about what God can do through this small gathering of people and what he dreams for us. So as we get ready to jump into that this morning, let's pray and let's ask him to guide us and to lead every single word that we say today and every dream that we talk about and everything that we imagine together. God, thank you so much. We are blown away by the reality of how you show your heart to this world. And we get to be such a small little fragment of that, but our small fragment gets to have an impact on all of eternity in the real lives of real people all around us. Help us to be able to see ourselves in that kind of setting. Help us to be able to have that kind of perspective and to orient ourselves in that idea right there that we get to be an expression of your heart to this world. Guide us today. And I pray that you would be lifted up in everything that is said today, that your spirit would guide and direct every single word that is said and every single word that is received today in minds and in hearts and in souls. Let it hit where it needs to hit today. Take us where we need to go. We're following you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as we look ahead, uh, what we're going to do here today, we're going to start by looking at kind of our grid that we see everything through as a church, okay? So we call this our mission grid. And so as we start, we're going to talk about these things right here, okay? First of all, the idea of our mission, all right? Uh, Who can say what the mission is of this church? There you go. All right, there it is. Rodney, you get bonus points, all right? Awesome. Sweet. Love Chapel Hill with the heart of Jesus. I love asking that that question to people who are still kind of new to the church because they get that look on their face of they're like formulating a guess, right? And they're like, "Uh, love Chapel Hill? Yes, exactly. All right. Love Chapel Hill with the heart of Jesus. Our name is our mission. This is why we exist. This is our purpose as a gathering, as a body of believers together. Okay. And this is the thing that will continue to drive us to love Chapel Hill with the heart of Jesus. It's the heart of Jesus that defines the way that we love. So everything that we do is rooted and established in him, and it grows up out of him, okay? And everything that we do is an expression of his heart to the world around us, okay? That's our mission. Love Chapel Hill with the heart of Jesus. The next piece of this is our map, okay? And so if the mission is uh, kind of this driving force and the mission decides where we're going, All right, the map helps us determine how we're going to get there, okay? It helps us to see how we're going to get there. And we're going to spend a lot of time today on the map. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. But before we do that, I want to talk about these other pieces of our mission grid, okay? The next piece is our marks, okay? And when we talk about our marks, what we're talking about is the culture of our church, okay? 
the culture of who we are. The marks are who we are as a people and who we want to become. Okay? The marks are who we are and who we want to become. Michelle. Why does it say love your enemies in the Bible? That's an excellent question. I'm going to get to that in one second, all right? That's one of our marks, as a matter of fact, okay? I'm going to get to that in one second. So when we talk about marks, what we're talking about is culture, okay? A lot of times, uh, culture isn't something that is written down. It's not something that's spelled out. You don't post it up on a wall and, and, and that kind of thing. But it's something that you can sense when you step into a place, right? You can sense it. You begin to pick up on the cues. And culture is what helps determine who we are, okay? Now, a lot of times in church, we talk about vision, right? And we talk about a vision for the future. And that's a really powerful thing to paint a really clear picture of the future and then to have that picture kind of draw us into the future, right? So vision is very powerful, but it's been said multiple times, and I believe this, culture trumps vision every time. Culture trumps vision because vision is an idea that's out there somewhere, culture is every single day. Culture is what drives the decisions you make in every single moment because it's who you are and therefore it is who you are becoming, okay? So culture is so important because it sets the direction of where you're going. And if your culture is not lined up with your vision, you're never going to get to your vision. You're never gonna end up there, okay? The culture is everyday decisions, So what is the culture of this church? What are the marks of who we are and who we want to continue to become? Number one, intentional incarnation. Intentional incarnation. Uh, When we talk about that, we get this idea from John chapter 1. Okay, you've heard us talk about this passage a lot. It's one of our favorite passages, our core passages as a church. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Exactly. It's so powerful talking about who Jesus is. And it says that nothing that is made has been made except through Jesus, right? It all finds its genesis in Him, it all finds its creation in Him. And it paints this powerful picture of Jesus as the Word, as being the Word since the beginning of time with God. And God himself, right? Speaking everything into creation. It's so powerful. I love this. And so as that passage goes on, it continues to say this. It says, he is the life. In him is life, right? And in that life is the light of all of humanity. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Okay, it shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So from the beginning, we get this idea of a God, not who is passive, not as a God who is far off and retreats, but as a God who engages and breaks into the darkness. He is the light himself engaging the world with light. Right. So powerful. But the real twist of the passage Okay, after it goes through all this time of building up Jesus as the word and setting him up so high as the eternal word, it takes this powerful twist, right? The pivot point of all of salvation happens right here in verse 14. It says, but the word became flesh, right? The incarnation in the flesh. Jesus steps into the world 
to save it from the inside. And he sets this powerful pattern for us of what it means to engage with the world. Put down roots where you live, right? Be an impact in the world around you. Don't just retreat as Christians, but be rooted where you are and impact the world around you. And he sets that pattern. As a church, we've tried to live into that and let that be one of our marks, okay? When we first started meeting, uh, somebody, or before we started meeting, we were offered um, a, a building, a, a place to meet for free, right? Where we could have worship there for free. A nice church building. It's this beautiful little building. And um, we, we just said no, okay? We appreciate the offer, but no, because it's about 10 minutes from the heart of downtown. And we felt called to this place, right? And we said, we're not going to spend all of our time and our energy and our creativity in getting the people from here to come to us. We felt like following the pattern of the incarnation means we go to them. And so we set up roots right here in the varsity, right? And so that's what incarnation looks like for us, is to set up roots in the heart of our community. So the varsity becomes our sanctuary, right? And caribou and Sutton's and Merritt's become the church offices. I love that, right? And McAllister's Deli and the station become our classrooms, okay? Love it. And Weaver Street and Vimela's become our fellowship hall, all right? And Franklin Street is our hallway. This is our church, okay? This is where we are, exactly. This is where we are. Incarnation, rooted right here. So that's what Jesus sets the pattern for, and he calls us to live that way as well. Number two, reckless love. This goes to Michelle's question. Why are we told to love our enemies? Because Jesus sets that pattern himself. Jesus sets that pattern himself. What a ridiculous thing for Jesus to ask of us. What a ridiculous thing for Jesus to ask of us, unless he was making it possible through his own power unless he was pioneering the way for us to show us what that looks like. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount makes this incredible statement, right? Where he says, you've heard, love your neighbor, but I'm telling you, love your enemies. He takes it to a completely different level. It's one thing for Jesus to say that on the Sermon on the Mount when he's up on the grassy hillside, right? Surrounded by all the people listening and hanging on every word. It's one thing to say revolutionary things. It's completely different when we see Jesus on another hillside, right? The one we often refer to as Calvary, the place where the cross stood. And on that hillside, the second and even more powerful sermon on the mount, Jesus says, Father, forgive my enemies. Forgive them. The people that are doing this, forgive them, right? Even as Jesus is being put to death, forgiveness is spilling out of him. Pierce his side and forgiveness flows out because it's who he is. It's who he is, flowing from his hands and his head and his feet. This is who Jesus is. So we're called to live into that as his people. The marks of who we are, we're going to live by reckless love. We believe very firmly that the most eloquent articulation of the gospel is reckless love, a love that gives itself away. Okay, Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. He says, when I came to you, I didn't come with eloquent preaching. That makes me feel really good, all right? 
take some pressure off, okay? I didn't come to you with eloquent preaching, he says. For when I was with you, I resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The perfect picture of reckless love, right? I resolved to know that and that only and to display that through my life. And he goes on. He says, when I came to you, I came in weakness. I came with fear and great trembling. I did not come with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Because that is what is convincing to people. I hope you can debate your faith, all right? I hope you can talk about it and you can tell people what you believe and why. But most importantly, I hope they're convinced by what they see in your life. That's what you're called to be, all right? That's what you're called to, reckless love. The most eloquent articulation of the gospel is a love that gives itself away. As it continues on, our our next mark is uh, radical hospitality, right? Radical hospitality. We want to be a place where everybody is welcome, right? Our doors are open. We're the last, the least, and the lost, right? Find a place to belong, where people don't have a home anywhere else in the world, they know that they are at home with us. We want to continue to practice that. Radical hospitality is who we are, so we want to continue to become. Moving on from there, the next one is courageous generosity. Courageous generosity. Now, this one's a frightening one, okay? That's difficult. Courageous generosity. Jesus tells us in the book of Mark, In chapter 12, verses 41 through 47, he says, this is what it looks like to live out generosity. And he talks about the woman who is a widow, who is a poor widow, right? And she's standing there next to the people who are pouring all of their money into the treasury at the temple, right? They're bringing their offering and and they're giving this abundant gift. And there she's standing there next to them, giving the last little bit that she has, Worth like a penny for us, basically. But she's putting it in. She's putting it in. And Jesus says, that is what generosity looks like. It's not about giving out of abundance. It's about the motive of the heart, right? It's about giving out of the depth of your heart. Jesus says that. He says, they gave out of their abundance, but she gave the last that she had. This is beautiful. It's not about the amount. It's about the heart behind it. We don't have a lot of resources as a church, okay? We don't, but we are committed to living out courageous generosity, and we want to encourage you to live that with us. As your leaders, we want to set the model for this, okay? So some of you may not know this about your pastors, but none of the pastors on staff here get paid full-time salaries, and that's intentional, okay? That's intentional. Number one, we can't afford it, all right? Let's be honest, okay? We can't afford it, and we don't want to put that burden on a church that can't afford it, okay? But what we do is we all have different ways of making that money that puts us out in the community. We get jobs in the community, and then we're living it out there around us as well, okay? Another way that we try to model it is this. Um, You know, we encourage people to give 10%, to tithe 10%, right? Um, and to give that as their gift back to God, the offering to God out of gratefulness for all he's given us. And so we want model that as a church as well. In fact, the church gives 20% of everything that comes in back outside of itself. 
20%. And we want to set that kind of courageous generosity. Do we have the money to do that? Oftentimes it feels like we don't, okay? We don't, but we're called to this. And so we have the courage to say yes when God is pushing us to that. So that's another one of our marks. The last one is this, optimistic grace. Optimistic grace. It sounds like an interesting phrase, right? What we mean is this. We believe very strongly in the power of sin. Okay? We recognize that. We see it. We call it what it is. Sin is dangerous and sin is deadly and sin is powerful. But we believe that grace is even stronger. And that when grace and sin collide head to head, that grace is the last one standing. Right? We believe that. We believe that. We believe in optimistic grace, that the grace of God can reach absolutely anyone. There is no one who is too far away from God to be reached by him. His grace can reach anyone and his grace can transform anyone. And we firmly, firmly believe that. That includes you, by the way. Whoever you are right now that's doubting that and you think you're too far away, you think you're the one who's too far away. It's not true. It's not true. Optimistic grace. His grace can reach absolutely anyone. We believe that. So those are the marks of our church, okay? That sets the culture of who we are, and the culture determines the future, okay? It sets the pattern of where you are going because it it, it determines those everyday decisions that you make in every single moment. So in a sense, culture trumps vision, and we want to remember that, okay? Uh, Moving on here. The next piece is this. Uh, We're going to talk about the map here for a little while, okay? And so when we were making the map of the church um, and and how we were going to accomplish our mission, laying out the roadmap for how to accomplish our mission, we decided that one of the things we needed to do was to go back through history and kind of do a genetic mapping of the church, okay, throughout history and around the world. And so we started asking questions about what is the DNA of the church? Not just this particular expression of it, but everywhere around the world. What is the DNA of the church? Um, I I love A.W. Tozer. Anybody ever read A.W. Tozer? All right, you should look him up and read him, okay? He's he's an awesome author. Um, He says this. He says, every new discovery right, is, is actually old, okay? Whenever someone makes a new discovery, it's actually old because every present expression is actually a previous thought of God. Every present expression is a previous thought of God. So we want it to be a present expression of a previous thought of God, of what God had already established in the church everywhere around the world all the way throughout history. So we look back at the DNA of the church throughout history, okay? And uh, a couple of things that we all know about DNA, right? DNA is building blocks, okay? Um, let's see, DNA kind of helps determine your potential. Also, in many ways, sets limits on who you're going to become, right? Um, so, unfortunately, I'm not going to probably be a seven-foot-tall, like, basketball player, which I really wish, okay? I'm crushed by my DNA, but that's okay. Um, so, also, another really important thing is this. DNA is reproducible, 
And then also, in most cases, DNA is found in every cell, okay? So when we look at those things and we look back at throughout the the church's history, we look for what is the DNA? What are the building blocks? What are the things that help determine the potential of who the church can become, but also in many ways set limits, right? And says this is something that the church is not going to do because it's in their DNA to be the church, okay? So we look back through that. And that journey of trying to figure that out takes us back to Acts chapter 2, all right? Another uh, core passage for us as a church. In Acts chapter 2, it talks about the earliest church, and it says uh, in verses 42 through 47, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was in awe because the the apostles were performing miraculous acts and signs, right? The power of God was visible in them. It said everyone had everything in common. It was on purpose. They were sharing. They were selling possessions and giving it away to people who needed it, right? And then it climaxes with this statement. And the Lord added to their number every day those who were being saved. I want to see that happen. I want to see that happen. I want to see a present expression of that previous idea of God. So when we look all the way back there at the ecclesia, which is the Greek word for church, okay? And we look back at that, um, we say, what constitutes this? Okay, what were they like? What does this mean? The word ecclesia is this Greek word that actually means called out ones. Okay, called out ones. It's powerful. And so out of this definition, we begin to determine and we begin to see what the DNA is of the church. When you think about the word called in relation to Jesus, who do you think of? Who? The disciples, exactly. So when we talk about called, we're talking about discipleship. Discipleship, that's at the heart and the DNA of the church. Anywhere you find it throughout history, anywhere around the world. When you think about out and going out, what do you think of? Mission. All right, awesome. Great. Mission. Mission is at the heart of the DNA of the church throughout history and all the way around world. And then when we think about that word ones, it helps us realize that this is something that is happening in the context of community, right? Our belief is individual in the sense that each person has to make that decision personally to be a follower of Jesus. But Christianity is not an individualistic religion. We are in a journey together, a shared journey together, okay? So it's discipleship and mission happening in the context of community, okay? And I just am now recognizing DMC, so run DMC. There you go, awesome, (laughs) sweet. Don't let the cardigan fool you now, all right? Awesome, (laughs) sweet. Michelle, yes. That's fantastic. Awesome question. So that goes back again to John chapter 1 where we were earlier. And when God speaks everything into existence, right? Jesus is God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. 
okay? Three in, in one, three distinct personalities, one God, okay? And Jesus, it says, is the word from the beginning of time, from before the beginning of time. And so Jesus is part of that creation, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit creating all together. So all of creation is created out of who Jesus is. So awesome. So Adam and Eve would be included in that. So as we move on, okay, discipleship and mission in the context of community. That represents the DNA of who we are as a church, okay? It represents the DNA of who we are as a church. So everything that we do has to, has to grow out of that. Discipleship and mission. Well, you start to ask, well, what about worship? Worship is a part of that, right? What about prayer? Doesn't prayer find itself in that? What about compassion for the poor? Absolutely, it finds itself in that, okay? The entire makeup of who the church is called to be is found in this DNA, the building blocks, right? The foundation, discipleship and mission happening in the context of community. So what do we do then? So I guess we build a discipleship program that goes this way, and then other people hop in on the mission program, right? So some people are going to be disciples, and some people are going to be missionaries, right? No, Uh uh-uh, all right? It's not separated. When we see this in the life of Jesus... We see that Jesus is leading his disciples. He's teaching his disciples. And as he is teaching them, it's as he's going, right? And he's, he's moving throughout these communities and he's touching people. He's healing people and, and all these different things. He's telling parables and he's teaching his disciples on the journey. And as they are being discipled, they're also being engaged in mission at the very same time. So these aren't things that are separate from each other. Instead... These are things that are intertwined and are crossing over always, right? They're always intersecting and and they are intimately tied to each other. And then what do you know? You got a double helix. There's your DNA right there. Okay, sweet. Awesome. So this is it, man. This is who we're called to be and, and what we're called to do as a church. One last piece is this as we're wrapping up. So what does it look like to engage in discipleship and mission? A lot of times when we talk about discipleship, we think it looks like this, okay? Disciples kind of going deeper into the life of the church, and that's how you're discipled. So you become a Christian, and your next step is you join a small group, and then when you get good at that and you start to get a lot of right answers in the small group, then we let you volunteer at something, right? And then when you're volunteering at that, we ask you to volunteer for like three other things, right? And then we put you on the leadership team and then you become like a member of the board or something. And then we give you a key to the church because that's where you're, you're here all the time, right? <laughs> Is that discipleship? No, that's part of it, Okay. That's part of it. Moving deeper into the life of the church is part of it. Do we need volunteers? Absolutely. Is that part of the way you express your gifts? Absolutely. Okay. But it has to be more than just this. To become a disciple doesn't mean to disappear from the world and just kind of huddle in the church, right? Instead, it looks like this, okay? Instead, discipleship is following Jesus into the heart of the Father, okay? Discipleship is following Jesus into the heart of the Father. And then what happens next is the heart of the Father sends us out 
in mission. Okay? Discipleship is following Jesus into the heart of the Father, and the heart of the Father sends us out in mission. And both of these are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And what happens when you are sent out in mission? By nature, you make more disciples, right? And what happens when you make disciples? Well, they go into the heart of Jesus, and then there's more mission, okay? And then it becomes an exponential thing. And it just keeps happening over and over again. And it repeats itself. And it's reproducible. And it becomes this exponential kind of growth. Okay? That is when movement starts to happen. All right? That is when movement starts to happen. Movement isn't just adding some more people to your Sunday gathering. Movement is when disciples start to be on mission and then mission produces more disciples, right? Which then produces more mission and it is this unstoppable exponential kind of growth and this is the way the church has grown and spread across the world all the way throughout history, okay? That right there is the future of love, okay? That is is the future of love. That is what we're called to be. Every single one of you is called to be a disciple of Jesus. Come follow me. And then the next piece of that is Jesus sends you out as a missionary. Every one of you is called to be a missionary. You say, well, no, I'm not, I'm not called to be a missionary. Well, too late, okay? Too late. If you're a Christian, you are called to be a missionary. And Jesus sends us out into the world with his good news, with the hope of who he is, empowered by the Holy Spirit. That is where we're going as a church, okay? That is who we are called to be as a church, and that is what the next five years will continue to look like. How do we measure that? That was the last piece that we didn't add up here, is our measure, okay? And we don't measure just by how many warm bodies we can fit in one room on one day of the week. We don't measure just by how much money ends up in an offering plate. No, it's got to be more than that. It's got to be more than that. And we measure by stories, right? We measure by stories. We measure by stories like April. April reaches out to a young lady who is an expecting mother, a single expecting mother, and she's frightened about what is coming. And April walks her through that entire process as a friend. And you know what happens next? What happens next is two of the guys' small groups volunteered to come and to paint the nursery for this young lady. And a church is on the move. We measure by stories. We measure by stories. You guys are stories waiting to happen. All right? This is the future of love. And I'm incredibly excited about what God is going to continue to do through us as a present expression of a previous idea as a small corner of his much larger worldwide kingdom. As we close this morning, I want to pray over us the prayer of Paul in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3. And Paul says this for those believers, and we're praying this for us as well today. I pray that out of God's glorious riches... He will strengthen you through the power of his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted 
and established in love. Through his power, along with the saints, we'll be able to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of God. And that you would know this love that surpasses knowledge. Father, how do we even do that? How do we even live up? How do we grasp something that is so far beyond our grasp? How do we know something that surpasses knowledge? It's through experiencing it in the depth of who we are and then seeing it spill out of us into the life around us. Let that be real for us. So in your name we pray these things. We ask, these, we ask this in your name. The one who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ever ask or imagine. And we give you glory in Christ forever. Amen.